deep beneath the known chambers of the Great Pyramids lies an ancient secret. A place where no one has visited for thousands of years. And a possible gateway to the underworld. In 1817, British Council General of Egypt Henry Salt and his Italian counterpart Giovanni Caviglia embarked on an expedition beneath the Giza Plateau. Salt was an avid adventurer and explorer, but the mystery of Egyptian archaeology was what drove him beneath the sands, looking for what others believed to be myth, gold, jewels, the treasures of a forgotten pharaoh were the focus of these explorers. As Salt and Caviglia descended into the catacombs, they sensed they were onto something much larger than they anticipated. Salt struck a match and lit his second torchlight as the two advanced cautiously, moving forward through a tunnel several hundred yards in length. After traveling a sizable distance, they came across three large chambers, equal in size and each seemingly interconnected with the other and with even more tunnels descending further into the darkness of the underworld. Salt and Caviglia would travel no further, finding no riches, the air getting thin as they reluctantly returned to the surface. Much is left to be discovered beneath the sands of the Giza Plateau. And perhaps it is something far older than the structures left on the surface by the earliest dynasties of Egypt. The depths of the plateau have yet to reveal their true secrets. Join us on Into the Portal as we take a journey into the depths of the Egyptian underworld in search of the origins to an ancient subterranean mystery. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're coming back at you with another desert episode. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> just keeps sucking us back in, man. There's yeah. about this place. It's just... Uh, back to Egypt again. Mysteries are pervasive there. They're endless, really. I yeah. Mean, there's something about it that, that always draws us back. There's, I mean, yeah, infinite mystery when it comes to... Egyptology and basically anything North Africa, really, just because of the cradle of civilization, obviously, and one of Mm -hmm. the air quote oldest civilizations on earth. And I air quote that because we're getting into some interesting uh, themes for this episode that we'll touch on. Mm -hmm. So the main theme, I guess, would revolve around this discovery in recent years. Um, So basically the gist I got was that something resembling... A real version of the underworld exists yes. in Egypt. Yes. And, yeah, this is something that has only come about in the last 200 years. It's, it hasn't even been fully excavated, so we're going to get into the details of that. But also, 
we have some other theme questions as well that we kind of want to cover. In this. Yeah, because this whole idea of there being the, the sort of the metaphorical underworld, and then obviously, like you said, we're going to get into the discovery of potentially a real physical manifestation of that. The tomb of Osiris. Osiris. Mm -hmm. But it brought up lots of other questions too about um, other things that could be undiscovered underneath the Giza complex and other, you know, Mm -hmm. locations in that area of uh, Egypt. And basically the idea that, you know, we're called into the portal, so I'm always searching for portals. The idea that perhaps the underworld was more of a more of a real place maybe maybe these uh maybe there's tunnels that actually lead somewhere you mm-hmm. know what i mean exactly um, maybe they're all connected somehow right because i feel like we have we have a vague understanding of the morphology of the pyramids but we are going to get into some more recent um discoveries i guess yeah. they haven't even really it's mostly due to modern technology. Yeah, they're still sort of unfolding, mm-hmm. uh, like, as we speak. Yes. Um, but... So I would say there's a lot left to be uncovered here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, let's just get into it then. Because <laughs> we're, we're going to end up coming back to lots of these questions anyway. So I say we just jump right in. Definitely. I think it's important to start with, obviously because we're dealing with the underworld. Man, mm-hmm. I just love saying that too. Like, so the underworld. Mm-hmm. So I think it's obviously important to kind of give some context to that, the idea of the underworld in Egyptian mythology and how what it meant to the lives of it, the ancient Egyptians and the earliest dynasties. Definitely. Yeah, so I actually did a little bit of research into that part. And so the basic understanding in ancient Egypt, they conceived of the underworld as sort of a journey and it's called something called the Duat. It's D-U-A-T. Okay. And it's basically, yeah, like I said, like it's, it's a journey of the soul, which is the Ka. Right. And the, e- Egyptians have a very intricate understanding of the preservation needed to actually secure this, this journey to what is actually the, the Tuat. So that would be the actual final, well, no, the, the transition area is the duo. Okay, okay. That's the, that's, it's almost like I picture it as like a 90s video game where you're going from room to room, boss to boss, and you have different challenges along the way. I see, okay. And then eventually, if you overcome all these challenges, um, you reach the Tuat, which would I be... I see. Anyways, yeah, so it's really cool. This Duat is conceived of as, exactly like I said, a journey. It's filled with things like carnivorous animals, lakes of fire, spells, helpful and harmful deities, all sorts of things. And like I was referring to, it's the ka, the soul, that journeys through this. But right. But there's also the other, the physical, the, the ba, which is essentially the shell of the soul, the body, which is why they would go to these elaborate lengths to embalm and preserve the body. Right. Because it was like you needed the balance, and then once you reach... Once you reach the end of the journey, you're basically, I don't even know, they refer to it as like your heart is weighed. And if you are in balance, like your con, your ba, then you're, then you can, then exactly, then you're transfer like, transfer over or whatever. Totally. Yeah. You kind okay. of like the gates are opened up or something. Interesting. So, so we, we kind of like, I met, we, when you brought this up, when we were just discussing the notes too, like that was interesting because like, doesn't that just sound so familiar, right? Like, the, arch- the, hero's the archetypal hero's journey, the Definitely. crossing lakes of fire and yeah. having helpful and harmful. It, it, it made me think of like Hercules, like the cartoon totally. movie when I was a kid, right? Or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's so cool too because, okay, 
So digging into this a little bit further, the ancient Egyptians kind of conceived of the world as a disc. So it's almost like, it's not like, it, it was kind of thought of as like a flat earth kind of a thing. So like a round disc that's essentially surrounded by oceans and there's this realm, but then there's the flip side of that. It's almost like the the upside down or the, you know what I mean? Like well, that's For all the Stranger Things fans exactly, out there. The upside down or the the underworld. Right. And that was, it, yeah, it was basically <laughs> represented as the reverse side of the world filled with primordial waters of noon running through it, thought to be the remnants of a state of chaos before creation. Interesting. So very dark, very um, ominous. Like this is not really like, it's, it's not like a heaven, like we think of in the clouds or something. No. But... Well, that came up like in the Zerzura episodes too, just like how Egyptian religion and mythology is quite dark. Like mm-hmm. their whole perception of death is like, they take it very seriously. They took it very seriously, obviously. And, but it's, uh, it was much more serious than like other ancient peoples who had like some, some of them had much more kind of loose, you know, fun, freeing kind of, um, takes on death where Mm. it wasn't so yeah ominous and dark and having to preserve everything. Like obviously they Mm -hmm. had a very interesting, um, mind body dualism kind of perspective going Mm -hmm. on, right. Where you like, you have to preserve these organs because it is essential to maintain the balance with the soul and the mind and these metaphysical things. Uh huh. Very, very cool. And it's interesting too, because like you said, like, yeah, like a dualism, but it wasn't so binary. Like it's so complicated. Like, oh my gosh, I need to become an Egyptologist to actually fully comprehend (laughs) the entire thing. Yeah. But the gist that I got was that there's a lot of different realms that the Egyptians considered to be real and they were interconnected and they had blurred boundaries. So it wasn't just a matter of dying and then going to heaven or hell. There was like all these like intricate little, like, like I was saying before, like the analogy of like, you're like, you know, the classic nineties video games where you're like, you know, like your Sega Genesis or your original Nintendo and you're going through like the different rooms of the bosses and there's side rooms you can go into and maybe you'll take a shortcut or maybe it's a long cut to go through different challenges, but you're going to end up at the same place eventually. Maybe. Like that's if kind of what the I'm right dis- If you make the right choices. Right? <laughs> he chose poorly. <laughs> chose poorly. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones yeah. reference. Okay. But so. I mean, that's interesting too, because it kind of, it kind of, um, ties into like our, the questions at the top of the show where it's like, mm. you know, was there like, are these, uh, new discoveries and like a manifestation of that? idea exactly. right like are a they like the real yeah mm-hmm. which is cool because it's like is it just a model or it was there something more you know functional to it mm-hmm. like you know so exactly so there's so much like so much ambiguity when you're like even with the chambers like that we're going to be discussing the catacombs initially because we came across this thing called the tomb of the birds yes and this has been loosely connected to this idea of an underworld possibly existing in the physical world. Right. So, yeah, anyways, like, I'm just trying, <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my whole head around this because it's just... Oh. I mean, that's the problem. Well, problem. It's a good problem to it's have a, when we yeah. re- look into Egypt-related topics that, like, the rabbit holes are infinite. I mean, with all of these topics, they are, but Egypt especially because there's so much information, there's a lot of misinformation. Oh, yeah. A lot of pseudoscience. Like, more so than other sort of genres of archaeology. It was a very stimulating topic. Like, there's a lot of 
people with the idea, their own ideas. Yeah. Which we've come across in a lot of different Indeed videos. Indeed, we have, and we are going to have. But we don't want to, yeah, so we just wanted to reiterate that, yeah, like, this is a very significant aspect of Egyptian mythology. Obviously, a lot of people think that these great pyramids, like the whole Giza Plateau, was, uh, like, they were tombs for the kings. Yep. Other people have different ideas about what they could possibly have been used for right. things like what was that the agricultural one and well i mean there's some crazy of, theories about yeah. obviously like the main pyramid being used to um generate electricity oh, like right, how they yeah. there yeah. was some people to speculate that they were pumping water into it and basically right. using it as some sort of a battery like oh, obviously yeah. some of the pyramids are tombs right like there's tombs well, that have been uncovered some people think that they were almost staged to be tombs that's too. another that's another theory like mm -hmm. we'll get into that sorry <laughs> i mean but but in terms of the main one in terms of uh, khufu in terms of the largest pyramid at giza mm -hmm. that is not conclusive that it was the tomb of the king of no. khufu or whatever so people don't actually know exactly what that pyramid was constructed for mm -hmm. very um, cool we're gonna get into cool. that yeah um later on in this episode <laughs> let's stick to the tomb of the birds yes so the tomb of the birds has been it has a history it started off it was basically uncovered in the 1800s initially and it is actually located to the west. It's kind of like a northwest from the tip of the second pyramid. Okay. So if you're looking at like a map and you have north to north, like, you know, <laughs> north to north. <laughs> north to north. So you're looking at it. And then, yeah, like, so you go to the second pyramid and it's like this. I, I can't remember. I think he said it was about I mean, we'll 700 we'll... meters away yes. from the pyramid. Yeah. Five to 700 meters. I don't have that exactly in front of me, but... Yeah, so this guy, Andrew Collins, we came across. Right. Maybe we should give a little disclaimer before yeah, so, we really so, dive into that. So we are going to reference this guy, Andrew Collins, who mm. is a mm. controversial figure in Egyptology, archaeology, and just paranormal studies in mm -hmm. general. Kind of um, blurs that line between pseudo-archaeology Yeah, and, like he's definitely... Or ancient alien type, whatever. Yes, like. so he's sort of linked to the ancient alien camp of archaeology and things like that. But at the same time, he plugs a lot of ideas that aren't uh, the, the ancient alien sort of angle. He has some interesting ideas in archaeology and especially in Egypt, but mm -hmm. just a disclaimer that, you know, we don't want to lean too heavily on, on it because mm -hmm. it's, it's more just interesting food for thought. And, and yeah, um, and he did detail the history as well. Yeah, like I mean, the, he's been there, like he's done yeah. ex expeditions and, and legitimate things. And, you know, quite frankly, like we, Amber and I, like we, we kind of occupy a space between you know, pseudo-archaeology, pseudo-history, pseudo-this and that, and, mm -hmm. and you know, searching for real evidence because... Well, we, we dig through it all the time. Well, of course, and, yeah, know. yeah, it's just so like... you just have to have... I think a, people, yeah. it's important to have people like this because mm -hmm. they, they push the boundaries and, yeah, it ticks off the conventional conservative <laughs> archaeologists and stuff, but anyway, we will be ref referencing Andrew Collins so you can look him up, but... Um, yeah, just a, just a brief disclaimer there. Yes, so basically Collins, he he's explored this what is called the catacombs that extend to the, from the northwest corner of this plateau, the Giza plateau. Yeah. And sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> You're excused. Got coffee burps. <laughs> oh god, great. <laughs> so anyways, he <laughs> Why did I just pull out my Cartman? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Anyways, um so he was discussing how this Henry Salt figure was one of the first people, he was, okay, he was a British Egyptologist, and he was working in the 1800s, and he was 
the British consul general of Egypt. Okay. And he was buddies with a guy named um, Nigel Skinner Simpson, who, again, was in the Egyptology realm. Okay. So this guy, Nigel Skinner, Skinner, he had been examining, sorry, 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 I had this mixed up. Um, Henry Salt and Cavaliga, they were the, the two that were working together. Okay. And Egyptologist Nigel Skinner was actually examining his memoirs and right. kind of re-uncovered this of mention dis- yeah. of these these caves right. that they discovered in 1817, I believe. So, yeah, he basically, Salt and Caviglia had entered a, a network of catacombs, and they actually... Uh, they explored them for about seven hundred, several hundred yards, and they apparently came across three large chambers of equal size that were interconnected, and there was further tunnels leading away in the darkness. So, 1817. Very curious. Yes, hey? indeed. So, this is the tip of the, the mystery for the, the Tomb of the Birds. Yeah. And the reason we're referring to it as the Tomb of the Birds, we didn't really mention this, but essentially why it's called that is there were mummies of birds right. found in it yeah and kind of has to do with maybe perhaps they were sacrificial offerings to osiris could have been mm-hmm. but obviously birds were worshipped i mean they mummified birds and cats exactly. and other animals too they they did crocodiles they did yeah all sorts of different animals for whatever reason because they matched up with different deities and stuff mm-hmm. the fact that it's 1817 for this first for this first uh, tidbit for the mystery uh-huh. is really fascinating because that's a that's an era where you know it the preceding archaeologists were blasting things like crazy using dynamite to mm-hmm. to excavate and things like that and whatever was found in 1817 could have potentially been lost or missed or is now underground like you know what I mean like it's not accessible exactly yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry, sorry, yeah. And, yeah, so they were actually disappointed because they were looking for, obviously, gold and treasures and all this stuff. Of course. And didn't really come across any of that. So they just, yeah, they returned to the surface and didn't actually go back. I guess they were like, whatever, just a bunch of dead birds down there. So that's, Boring. that's, that's that. Yeah. And essentially why, like, okay, so we didn't actually even, we kind of jumped over that whole idea of, like, the underworld of Osiris actually containing this this what's referred to as this unearthly light that is like Mm. it's like a treasure beyond all treasures and it's held in this underworld and guarded by osiris and this this snake i can't remember the name of the snake now but it's like this yeah so that's kind of the story the underlying story of like so if you uncover this tomb you will the only the chosen one will be able to enter and anyone else who does will essentially be squirted with fatal venom in their eyes, blinding them forever. Right, okay. And I yeah, and, and and the only <laughs> the only one, the chosen one, will be able to take um I can't remember what kind of gemstone it was from the eye of the snake or something or on its forehead. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, right. I'm, I'm totally butchering this. No, it's right okay. Now. It's I mean that's I don't pretty have much my notes just in front like of me. the hero's journey. Like again. Well, exactly. Right? This is sort yeah, of the same. yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find this name here because it was, yeah, it was, oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Oh, okay. We're, yeah, we're, we're right on track here. Okay. We're, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I thought I had my notes lost, but it was just kind of a little bit out of order. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Story of our lives. So anyway, so, okay. Continuing on this story. Yeah. 
So we get, well, 20 years down the road, we're up to 1837. The only, supposedly, according to Andrew Collins, supposedly the only other explorers to actually dive into these catacombs was Colonel Howard Weiss, and he was an Egyptologist and a British MP. Yeah. And he had a colleague, John Shea Pering, and they just chanced upon the entrance during some routine explorations, and they didn't even really record their... No. Their findings because they were just... Just to be clear, the reason they, like, like you might, it might sound strange to say, like, oh, they just chanced upon an entrance, and, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're digging, you're, you're an archaeologist, like, that's kind of what happens, you, you chance, ha- find stuff, right? But the reason, like, I kind of chuckled when I read that, it's like, the reason they just chance found something is because they were using dynamite as their main tool for archaeology. They, they weren't, they weren't dusting slowly in the cracks trying to see, oh, what's this little image of a bird etched in here? It's like, nope, stick some dynamite in there. Let's get through it. Which is really sad. It's kind of like how much history was lost just from the impatience of these, uh, I know, right? These, these, like the early stages of the, uh, the royal, um, what was the British Royal Society, whatever that, uh, Al Massey ended up being a part of later in the twenties and stuff like that. The, yeah, the Royal, Royal Geographic Society? Yes, yes, yeah. So this would be the early stages of what would end up being the Royal Geographic Society, right? In the in the early 1800s. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of heavy-handed in their archaeological methods, I'd say. <laughs> Very but, unfortunate. Anyway. But they did uncover it again, so that's where the story sort of picks up. But before we get into any more, yes. we are going to take a quick break yeah. for our friends at Double Density Podcast. So... We love these guys. Yes. And uh, anyone who's a regular listener to our show will know that we did a recent collaboration. Yeah. And so if you haven't actually listened to that one, I would highly recommend you do it. We yes. did a cross-country tour of the paranormal in Canada. Yeah, so one episode on our show and one on uh, on their show on Double Density. So yeah. Legends of the Great White North, you can check that out on our feed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the part two is uh, is over there on uh, Double Density's feed. And Brian and Angelo are awesome. They talk tech and paranormal, so yeah. make sure you guys go check them out. And uh, give a listen to this promo. From Apple products to Zelda games, and from aliens to zombies, we are Double Density. Tech tales and paranormal primers with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. New episodes every Wednesday. DoubleDensity.net. like to start off with more on Osiris because yeah. that was kind of the missing piece of yeah. mythology we right. just covered. And is obviously one of the, like the most well-known Egyptian deities obviously. But, just but it's kind be... of interesting like I kind of honestly sort of forgot who Osiris was like that name is very familiar right? Well, you like... hear it all the time I mean it's like brands for things are called oh, Osiris. True. Skateboard brand called Osiris. There's you know but yeah god of the Underworld. God of the underworld. And it's very interesting because in Egyptian creation myths and stuff, Osiris was actually originally the um, lord of the earth. And he okay. was actually, one one day, as it goes, like this reminds me of Greek mythology, he was actually betrayed by his brother and his brother killed him. And 
they, his wife Isis, I guess, tried to revive him and they were unsuccessful, but they actually, they did revive him for a day and then he went back down to the underworld. And so it's, it's almost like the, um, it was like a metaphor having to do with the sun, like raw and the like rise the cycles. Of the setting. Okay. And what else does that remind you of in Christian mythology? Hmm. Like the, yeah, the, the resurrection. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it's parallel in a lot of different um, mythologies yeah. and stuff, but in our case, yeah, so Osiris, the the lord of the underworld. So he is kind of like the gatekeeper. And he kind of... The descriptions is basically that Osiris is a radiating light in darkness. And that he he basically guards this treasure, a, a powerful object that of an unearthly source. And it's like, what the heck does that mean? And then, of course, the, the snake I was trying to... I couldn't remember the name of it before the break, but... Um, essentially Collins, when he was exploring this area, he actually came across an ancient Arab tomb guardian and he didn't speak any English, but unfortunately he had a a translator with him. Mm. And so the translator discussed how this tomb guardian was telling him of this legendary El Hanash, warning him that essentially anyone who enters will be squeezed to death by this massive serpent that guards the catacombs Crazy. and is also capable of spitting deadly venom in the face of anyone who attempts to steal ooh the great diamond that's what it was there you go the diamond that it makes protects sense. yes but supposedly the legend tells that one day the chosen one will enter the cave and el hanash will blind him in only one eye allowing him to extract the gemstone hence the said to hold great powers like wow. i'm thinking like this must be like the philosopher's stone if it's radiating an unearthly light that reminds that 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 reminds me of things that you we would uh come across in uh looking at alchemy stuff yep philosopher's stone absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah the homunculus radiating red light Hmm, very mysterious we're always crossing crossing back over to our old episodes (laughs) and quite and as a matter of fact i didn't mention it earlier but tomb of the birds like does that sound familiar to anyone obviously so yeah I wonder if there's a possible connection here. We'll touch on that at the end. Yeah, totally. But obviously Zerzura was supposed to be the the city of the birds, right? This white city. Exactly. Where, you know, doves are flying around. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because um, the the mummies of the birds that were found, some of them were quite large, like they're birds of prey. Like things like falcons, or not falcons, um, is it falcons? Like hawks and eagles and things like that. Things like that, yeah. And then, like, raptor-type yeah, birds. Yeah, like a falcon's a bird of prey. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, maybe it was... What was that legendary bird that we came oh, across? The Auroch. The Auroch. Yeah, except yeah. that thing was, like, Massive. 50 feet tall or something. So maybe this was a temple celebrating the Thunderbird. <laughs> We're getting silly now. Sorry, guys. Yeah, okay. okay. Let's get back on track. <laughs> so, okay. So, again, going back to Osiris, this possible real existence of an underworld, it makes sense because Egyptians like we were kind of touching on earlier, they have this very intricate connection between the metaphorical and the physical, right. the ka, the ba, they have all these different, um, yeah, these different inter- interconnecting ideas of having almost having to do with, yeah, just the cycles of life and rebirth and yeah. all this stuff. And yeah, so it's, it's very cool because there's the mythology of the journey through the underworld. And then you do get, possible physical representations in the pyramid and the tools right because they leave all these tools and even the boats right the boats were meant to be used by the pharaoh in death to sort of traverse i don't know the lakes of fire why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that then so like boat like there was legit boats inside yes 
Which pyramid was that specifically? That was the oh, largest? there was there was tons. There's yeah, or in no, a bunch of them. There and there is yeah, there is one pyramid specifically that has a huge boat in it, and I can't remember. We touched on that briefly when we were looking into ancient Chinese explorers and right. ancient like yeah, if, if ancient cultures could possibly traverse the oceans. Yeah, transoceanic. Yeah, and so that was one that kind of came up. But anyways, getting back to the underworld. Yes. So funerary texts such as the Amduat, which is um, the book of that which is in the underworld suggests a physical representation in the vicinity of the Giza pyramids. Um, in this particular text, um, this god, it's an earth god, Sokar, which is a falcon-headed god of the dead, is depicted standing atop a multi-headed snake. And Crazy. so this this is connected to this tomb of the birds. And so, yeah, Andrew, he, he kind of, Andrew Collins, sorry, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. <laughs> you were there. Yeah. So, there's loose connections to be made between these shrines that are found in the vicinity of this tomb of the birds yep. and the, the actual mummies of birds and the gods that were supposedly like this falcon headed god. Like, you know, so there's all these, okay. these loose connections that you can make to that. Right. And yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, like I said, we got to take this with a grain of salt because of course a lot of this has to do with, um, <clears throat> Collins's personal um, interpretations of some of this stuff. So, right. well, and, it's and not like we just looked at what he had to say. No, not at all. We've we've we have, and as always, you guys can go look at our sources after the episode's posted. We it takes a sec, but then we get them up on the website, so you can go look at the same stuff that we've <laughs> looked at. Usually a day or two after um, we release. <laughs> but I think it's important to just remember that. I mean, yeah, you you got to take all everything with a grain of salt, even when you're reading something that's like from a you know, a peer-reviewed academic source, it's like, well, what university is it coming from? Like, who's who's writing about it? What did they write about in mm-hmm. the past? Like, there's always, you have, to, always you have to think cover. critically about everything that Definitely. you're reading. But at the same time, it's like posing questions that are a different er- interpretation of, um, you know, an archaeological site or a historical find. If it's not completely, I mean, even the ones that are completely outlandish, they're fun. They mm-hmm. stimulate conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, I feel like we fall somewhere in, in the middle. And I think Collins does too with a lot of these ideas with the underworld. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's not just pulling this out of thin no, air. No, exactly. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm, yeah. I think that there's, there's arguments to be made and he makes them that you can um, interpret things differently, yeah. but people always just kind of go to the far end being like, that's the ancient aliens kind of argument for things. Like, I'm just going to totally misinterpret this to mm-hmm. benefit my argument. Yeah. Um, which anyone can do because nobody really knows what a, you know, a, a slab from 8,000 years ago means, but mm-hmm. it's all speculation. That's what we're here for. Speculate. <laughs> <laughs> speculation. Yeah. So getting back to, well, this, yeah. So we're at the point where. We're at Collins. Collins has kind of gone in. He actually did two different investigations. One was in 2007. The other was in 2008. Yes. And so he investigated these, the, the passage. So the mouth of the passage and he, him and his wife, I guess. And I think there's one other person with them and their team. They explored several hundred meters down the one passage and they got to a point where it, there was a split, but the air was getting too thin for them and they couldn't actually continue on further until the following year. So that was the 2007 one. And so 2008, they go back. They actually go further down. And there's a map that we're going to have on the website. It's really cool. It's just like an overview of, of the, the different caves and passages. And these caves he describes as um, naturally forming caves. Interesting. And yes, exactly. And they're formed from limestone. And 
they actually have this really interesting shape, like the the top half, like it's almost as if it was subjected to two different um, periods of water, because there's one aspect that shows that it would have been completely submerged, and that's, it results in this specific shape. I think it was a keyhole shape type of a cave. Okay. And then there's there's also evidence of um, of just water, not not um, it wouldn't have been submerged at this point. It would have just been dripping water that okay. would have right. further sort of um, eroded away the limestone. Sure. Which actually makes sense when you think about it, because there is evidence that the Sphinx even was subjected to two periods of flooding, right? There's two levels of water. Yeah. So anyway, it's just, that's another reference. But well, that's a part of the complex, so that's exactly. a good reference to make, right? So he kind of thinks that, yeah, these are naturally forming, like, ancient cave systems that were utilized by the Egyptians. And there's actually ancient references. Uh, there was a Greco-Roman historian, Amanius Marcellinius. Marcellinius, sorry. Nice job. And he was... That's one of your better pronunciations, I'd say. Yeah, that was that was great. But he was around in about 300, 360 AD, and he actually wrote of these subterranean fissures and winding passages that he called syringes underneath the sands of Giza. And so the question then becomes, Andrew reached a point, Andrew Collins, sorry, reached a point where he he had he he came across a circular tube that descended vertically down. It was like a shaft. Yeah. And he was unable to follow it down for whatever reason didn't have the equipment or whatever well i wouldn't want to get lowered into that necessarily it's like it just getting lowered into Polska. the underworld like yeah a, a gate to hell well actually that was one of my notes at the top it's like are we dealing with an egyptian almost sort of like an egyptian castle host right guy? because it is the underworld it, it, like you, you could even could, yeah it's their conception of yeah did the they find that spot in the earth where they've like just like castle hoska maybe where they've found a connection somehow so it's very interesting to think that perhaps these syringes or these fissures and winding passageways possibly could could go like hundreds and hundreds of meters below the surface and potentially extend quite a far distance perhaps underneath the entire plateau it could even lead to like if we uncovered more passages. Like I, I don't know. I'm I'm totally like my my brain is going a mile a minute. Thinking, I know. Like, oh, I know. these these could connect all the pyramids. There could be some crazy like you know like like maybe this physical realm actually inspired the original mythology from thousands and thousands that, and thousands it, it, of years. Exactly. Ago. I feel like mm-hmm. that's sort of the that's the main thing that you and I are wanting to emphasize in this episode mm-hmm. is the idea that there could have been a, an even more ancient history, a pre-Egyptian history that the Egyptians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, took, took knowledge from that or learned from or performed their own archaeological ex- explorations and, you know, rediscovered these things and then u- utilized them or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so cool because, yeah, so there's the reference from... Um, the ancient Greco-Roman historian. There was also Arabic travelers that recorded similar tales following contact with Coptic Christians in the early, um, in the AD years. Again. Interesting. Early AD years. <laughs> in, in the, yeah, in the few centuries um, after. After the death of Christ. Exactly. Which would have been Coptic Christianity sort of uh, <clears throat> came to be, I believe, 40 AD. Coptic Christians, they kind of inherited the ancient Egyptian culture right after the fall of... They did. Um, but then they were obviously heavily persecuted yeah and um and that was one of our theories for zazura yeah that um, zazurans were coptic christians that, that had fleeing yeah yeah right <laughs> but anyways yeah so these arabic travelers yeah so they they were they were exposed to these stories as well and they were told of again the existence of these underground passageways between beneath the great pyramids 
um, apparently created by a legendary king in an attempt to preserve knowledge of science and arts of his society. And many of these have to do with, like, disaster myths, like, so, like, um, tales of, like, an impending, um, like, flood or catastrophe from the heavens, that type of thing. okay. So it was almost, like, their way to, like, like, I don't even, but that seems kind of dumb. If you're expecting a flood, why would you dig? (laughs) Like, why would you go down? Wouldn't you want to go up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this was kind of the backdrop. All of these sort of legends and tales, this was kind of what inspired Salt and Caviglia and all these these Egyptologists that were going in and trying to find all these riches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then same thing with Almasi and Zerzura. Same exactly. same idea. Exactly. Um, based on truth, based, based in part in truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know little pieces of evidence found leading people along the breadcrumb trail th- over mm-hmm. the over the centuries it started with salt and uh, caviglia mm-hmm. but and then obviously ending up with andrew collins and it's too bad that some you know some people have a certain view of him or whatever but i i i do actually like think a lot of his work is worthwhile for posing the question mm-hmm. but it's just there is something there's so much left to be discovered there. The One of the things that we've came across is the idea that maybe the Egyptian authorities already have looked at a lot of these things. Like maybe they have used LIDAR because that would yeah. be the main thing. Be like, okay, well, how far does a uh, tunnel run from the main pyramid? Do they connect to the other pyramids? Well, let's do an extensive LIDAR survey to see what's there. Well, but that mm-hmm. costs a lot of money and the Egyptian government doesn't just let you know, West, Western researchers <clears throat> these days waltz in very easily. Mm-hmm. So, well, would they use lidar, or would it be like more like a sonar? Like, so, because lidar is more for like penetrating loose particles, like. right? But I mean, like, if you're using a if you're using an air lidar search of the area, maybe you'd be able to you know penetrate the sand and be able to see the outline of caves or tunnels or shafts mm-hmm. beneath the sand, right? True. And so actually, yeah, that's what we're going to get into with this whole, like, there was, um, I can't remember what it was, it was called the SARAC satellite, I believe. And this was from a German institute, a research institute, um, in conjunction with a Egyptian committee for, yeah, antiquities of whatever, I can't even remember the name of it. (laughs) They were working in conjunction and they actually did do some, like, not LIDAR, but it was basically, yeah, like a, um, a ground, a survey from above through using a satellite and they revealed it's kind of it's very faint and we're going to include these photos as well it's like these shadow lines that trace from this entranceway of the tomb of the birds and they trace towards the a northwest corner of the second pyramid like i mentioned before yeah the second largest the... sorry it's the terra Sarex satellite radar satellite okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, just to be clear there but yeah so that's that's that was what was used for this particular um, survey expedition. Yeah. Exactly. And I wonder if something like this would be useful in actually examining the pyramids themselves. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if you, anybody out there with an archaeology uh, background or that knows anything about this, mm-hmm. please reach out to us with your thoughts. <laughs> exactly. So, again, yeah. So Collins, he was definitely um, very involved with this sort of more recent, like 2008 sort of, ex- not excavations, but um, adventures into the area, I guess. Adventures, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean. <laughs> like, I don't know what else you'd call it. But uh, yeah, originally he wasn't even there to sort of 
uncover this, he was actually there to trace this ground sky overlay of a particular constellation called Cygnus, or also known as the Northern Cross, I guess. But he was tracing how, like, the placement of these three main pyramids corresponded to three key stars of Cygnus. But there was one marker that was, like, missing or something, and then one of his colleagues suggested that it could be something called the Hall of Records, which was a name given to this underworld slash tomb of birds by a guy, the American psychic Edward Case. He just, he, in the 1920s, yeah, this is totally random, but he deemed this the Hall of Records, which actually corresponds back to the ancient Arabic travelers' um, stories, where they were talking about how it would have been um, a place where knowledge was stored okay. and things like that. So again, yeah, this is so random, but Edgar Case, he predicted the existence of such a place in the 1920s and he gave it the name, the Hall of Records. And so skipping forward now back to 2007, Andrew Collins visiting, trying to figure out the, this constellation was just just his colleague. I can't remember the name of the colleague. He just suggested, oh, maybe it's the Hall of Records. And he's like, what? And so he went to this, exactly, the entrance of the catacombs, the Tomb of the Birds. Yeah. And it did roughly correspond to his missing ground sky marker. So. Interesting. <laughs> very, yeah. So anyways, I don't know if that's like, because again, I'm not sure how exact his calculations are, if he is even qualified really to be making those calculations. But probably not. But Probably I mean, not. That's but he okay. did kind of, he, he, he's a go-getter, man. He's, you know. I'd say so. Yeah. So he, again, he, he descended on the same chamber that Salt apparently was uncovering in 2000, or 2017, <laughs> 1817. <laughs> and he didn't even reach, um, he doesn't think he reached as far as Salt did actually, because he never came across those three chambers that Salt had described. Right. But they did come across some very dangerous white widow spiders, which were very... White widow spiders? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, apparently they... So that, again, kind of corresponds to the warnings made by that old ancient um, guardian of the tombs. Right, yeah. Where he was like, if you go down there, you're going to die. Right. Why are, and there are several spiders surviving down there? there I guess there's bugs and things. Yeah, I guess. There must be. Well, there's bugs. There was carcasses of camels and animals that he thought maybe hyenas had brought... Dragged Yeah, exactly. Things like that. So very... No snake skins, though, I don't think. Huh. I wonder. Hmm. You didn't mention You think that. that would be a perfect place for snakes. Exactly. So, again, so okay. he, he started to get roped into this mystery, this adventure, and he started looking into the research being performed by this German Aerospace Center, um, the institute I mentioned um, before, that was operated jointly with this Astrium association as well so they were the ones using this terra sarx satellite to sort of uncover and this satellite has the ability to sort of detect natural faults in the rock so this is what kind of again corresponds to this natural formation of the limestone caves and yeah and just um and potentially that was tapped into by ancient egyptians and maybe so a blend of the natural caves and the man-made tunnels like that like they they continued on to and we've seen that we've seen that you know you you can find that all over the world, right? Where mm-hmm. humans have taken natural formations in the earth and kind of reworked them into whatever they needed to be, right? Whether it be mm-hmm. a shelter or whatever. I yeah. think that uh, that's just absolutely fascinating, obviously. It's, it's, it's uh, very... the idea that not only could there be a more extensive network um, that was built 
possibly pre 4500 BC, which is where what most Egyptologists set as the sort of the, the earliest dynasties mm-hmm. that would have built the the, the complex, mm-hmm. the Giza complex. I mean, they would have had to have some serious engineering skills to pull it off to mm-hmm. to to be tunneling underground and reworking and caves like, and things what about the air what about oxygen and all that stuff like you know that's another i mean did they did they discover did they figure out some way of like pumping fresh oxygen mm-hmm. da- underground or maybe there's to like yet keep... to be discovered like ventilation shafts or something i wonder possibly this is a cool quote from um this is from collins's website here but just discussing the findings of the satellite he says here this quote, <clears throat> the shadow line on the TerraSarx radar satellite image seems to connect with another wider shadow line that starts at a position corresponding to a gully in the plateau's northern cliff just west of the tomb of the birds and curves towards the second pyramid where it is finally lost from sight on the north side of the monument's square base. Once again, there are no visible features on the corresponding Google satellite map to explain this anomaly. So, I don't know. I just, I, I thought that was really interesting because maybe that, again, that points to maybe there is even more that we just have yet to sort of uncover. Yeah. Well, there's so much. I mean, so this reminds much. me of Olaf uh, Cotter or Copper or whatever, too, like um, referenced from the Zerzer episode, oh, The yeah. Egyptologist, yeah. where he said, like, I mean, he he's researching a branch of Egyptology that's lesser known, mm-hmm. but there's literally hectares upon hectares upon hectares of un- on you know dug <laughs> terrain right like that has not unexcavated, been unexcavated yeah. mm-hmm. right yeah. that has not been looked at by and, and it's just so many different ways to interpret it as well so collins after examining this data provided by the satellites he kind of he he does believe that the beginnings of these shadow lines mark or the the one the fainter shadow line not the wider one um marks the spot where salt discovered this the mummified birds and all this stuff and yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's very curious because we don't we don't have a lot of answers as to what purpose this would have served. If this is potentially I don't even like I'm just oh, I'm at a loss because I just want why can't they send a freaking little robot down into that little vertical shaft and, yeah. and just see because they are doing that inside the the pyramids themselves and we're going to get into that in a second because that's super interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it's just this this very curious curious entrance way that potentially served a very important purpose that we just don't and is potentially much more ancient than the pyramids themselves and would be the reason why they were built there perhaps right possibly mm-hmm. besides the fact that it's obviously in a you know a uh, an ideal sort of area mm-hmm. close to the the delta or whatever right and another thing that quarter <laughs> sorry i can't talk that kind of like corresponds again to this connecting this tomb of birds with the underworld is the idea that, okay, so again, this is from Colin. So <laughs> I just want to like, just, you know, <laughs> you have to just, yeah. Disclaimer. Yeah. Disclaim that. But anyways, he says here, he questions, he says, is it possible that the bird cult once associated with this site honored Hermes, a Greco Egyptian form of the Egyptian God Thoth, Thoth spelled T H O T H the keeper of ancient records and guardian of ancient wisdom. If correct, then future excavations inside the tomb and caves might well reveal that the mummy birds purportedly left there were ritual offerings 
and um, contained the remains of Ibises, which is a bird sacred to Toth slash Hermes. If the birds found here were not Ibises, but raptors, such as hawks and falcons, then the cult here was probably that of Sokar, the guardian of the Duat of Memphis, or Rasto, the ancient name for Giza. Either solution will go some way to prove that the Tomb of the Birds was seen as an entrance into a cave underworld. End quote. Interesting. So, again, so this is con- connecting the birds, connecting them. That's very curious, right? If, if, if this is the um, Temple of Thoth, ancient, the keeper of ancient records. So what is that referred to? The Hall of Records? Like, you know, all this stuff. So there's, there's these connections. connecting. Yeah. The, the yeah. other interesting thing about this quote that I, that stands out to me is the, the guardian of the Duat of Memphis. So it's one specific entrance point. Mm-hmm. So it sort of like implies that obviously this is just a quote from, from Collins, but it implies that and this would make sense because there's so many pyramids and there's, you know, multiple possible underground caverns and things like this, that there's more than one entrance to the underworld. That Ooh. makes sense that there's an well, underground network yeah. connecting these multiple and significant locations. Exactly. And the different realms and they're all interconnected. There's, there's these loose separations and blurred boundaries and all these things. Yeah. And, yeah. and oh my yeah, so <laughs> that would really be so there'd be this. one at Memphis and yeah, you're just freaking <laughs> kid in the candy store. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's just so fun and exciting to think about. Like, oh, love it. I know. Okay, right? and again, yeah, he does go into depth with this stone tube, like the the shaft that we discussed, that yeah. vertical shaft that kind of just disappeared into the darkness. Um, so Collins speculated that this stone tube um, connects with. Um, an east-west, sorry, sorry, with a further east-west oriented chamber just beyond the exit. So it could actually be connected to the second pyramid. It's kind of what he's suggesting. And if it is connected to the second pyramid, then what's to say that there isn't, again, like he said, there was the wider, that wider shadow line that traced. So I don't know, man. Maybe there's like a whole freaking bunch of stuff going on down there. I know, right? just, well, here's just really. another random thought too. That from a practical point of view, if the Egyptians, earliest Egyptians had sort of discovered like an even earlier people's work or that they utilized these underground catacombs or whatever, like who's to say that one of the reasons why they created an underground network wasn't just for the simple purpose that like it's cool down there. Mm-hmm. Like it's, um, we can get, you know, we can move from shrine to shrine, significant location to significant location or at least maybe important people can or something that's not above ground like the rest of mm. the rest of Egypt like the rest mm-hmm. of the peasantry or whatever right right i don't know that's just like a but then again it's like you know why don't you just travel at night or something you know what i mean like it's like there's lots of ways to avoid the heat not but as i mean it's cool man anyway not as cool well especially cuz like yeah like the caves do appear to be of natural origin the keyhole shape and the smooth walls all suggest this like natural erosion and so maybe they're just utilizing what was already there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And there is evidence, like we said already, to suggest that the entire plateau was at one point saturated underneath the water table. So that would really help with the formation of extensive cave networks. And I think, I quite honestly think we will eventually find them if they're there to be mm-hmm. found. It's obviously tough with the last decade with like Egyptian politics and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy. No. And who's to say that it, like we said a minute Maybe ago, like Egyptian authorities have. haven't yeah. already done this and yeah. just out of spite for the West, 
because 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 Western explorers and archaeologists are always going in and mm-hmm. you know it's their history. Yeah. So I can see why from like their Department of Antiquities would be very closed, True. you know, shut off or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But especially if they're still in the interpretation part of it all. Like what if they're not even sure what they've uncovered or something? And Yeah. And exactly. at the, that yeah, so I think maybe we, what we should do now is maybe cover a bit more of like just the pyramids themselves because that's okay. super interesting. And obviously, yeah, we've we've sort of alluded to the idea that perhaps all of these like cause there's three great pyramids right and the one the biggest one is khufu's pyramid and there's also several smaller um pyramids that are like queen's pyramids that type of thing so yeah. it's, it's a very extensive it's a massive um, space though even just for yeah, the giza it's, complex it's, it's huge it's huge and i found a really cool from wiki commons this cool map of like an overground like so you can see everything so we'll include that as well in our yeah. on our website but uh yeah so very mysterious. There's still, there's still things we've uncovered. Oh, you're so excited about it. You're I'm just yawning. <laughs> oh, the coffee hasn't kicked in. Yeah, clearly. Oh, I'm a big stretch. Okay. Yeah, no, but like, like I just said, like I, I think that the if these exist, they will be uncovered because things are still being discovered to this day. So, like one of the more recent um, discoveries at the Giza complex was in the main pyramid, mm. and basically. Uh, People are touting this. This was a National Geographic article, but their researchers were basically touting this as the, the the most significant major inner structure discovered since the 1800s. So since the uh, the Henry Salt days that we were just discussing, mm-hmm. basically National Geographic researchers discovered an additional chamber in uh, adjacent, mm-hmm. sort of like adjacent to the king's chamber in the center of the pyramid. Okay, yeah. So it was a, a like a void, right? A void. It's kind of what was picked up on radar yes. or whatever? Yeah, like on... Uh, I, I, I was don't it know. radar No, or they, used, or? Um, they used a few different methods, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so essentially, what, like from like the images that I was looking at, it's, it's parallel to the Grand Gallery, which is a diagonal chamber that leads up to the king's room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to give some perspective on the size like it's it's the the gallery is large it's roughly 153 feet long and 26 feet tall wow like that those are its dimensions That's so crazy. it's it's, it's, it's a it's massive like, it's like a stairwell essentially like it's yeah a, it's kind of on an angle looks like going you're up going ladder. up the staircase to heaven <laughs> that's an, uh, one way to interpret it right but what's interesting about this is like yeah so this additional chamber was discovered but there's no access to it and there's, mm-hmm. there's, it's inconclusive how it would have been closed off, and nobody knows what's in it. Yes, and I actually came across some videos and some some possible theories having to do with that as okay. well. And yeah, so again, there was some yeah a diagram of the rough location of this void, which was parallel to the Grand Gallery. Yeah, and then also what was suggested because okay, we didn't even know until the eight hundreds, eight hundreds A.D. that the the queen like the upper chambers existed we thought that it just descended downward we we, we as in like the world british the, the british world, exactly. basically that well, were not the, the british the british weren't even a freaking oh sorry around. what did you just say what, what was the date <laughs> you just said it would have been like like greeks oh i thought you said oh i'm sorry Romans you said 1800s for some reason no sorry. not 1800 ad okay got you got and you. what essentially happened was um it was kind of like a chance encounter or like expedition essentially um i can't remember the name of the i think it was alamon 
Mamon, Mamon, I think was his name. And he was an Arabic king. And he actually had an expedition go down into the pyramid, into this, and he was the one that uncovered a crack in the ceiling of the descending passageway. And the crack actually was another block that they could remove. And it was like this, um, yeah, so anyways, it was was like a, a super disguised entranceway. And so once they actually took took the blocks <laughs> still after they took the blocks away they discovered the entrance to the grand gallery and so that's how the queen and king's chambers were discovered in 880 crazy so until like we didn't even know that was around right okay so what was hypothesized in the video was that that um section where the the upper passage and the lower passage meet there is a vertical shaft that right. would open up and give access to that supposed void right. that was recently discovered. Yeah. So there's so much left to be uncovered, really, in the upper echelons of the pyramids themselves. And that leads me to think that there's a lot left to be uncovered beneath the surface of the Giza Plateau. I'm thinking perhaps this site was chosen to build the pyramids on because of things that were already existing there. Yeah, so I think that that's kind of the the crux of the interest like this episode for this episode for me, the idea that yes, there could have been and lots of people do speculate on this that the pyramids the the largest ones and the oldest ones are far far older than the 4000 years or 4500 years range that Egyptologists kind of give them mm-hmm. and that it could possibly be as old as 10,000 BC. So and we've, we talked, we touched on this in the Siberia episode with mm-hmm. evidence found in caves there and things like that. And there are other bits of evidence around the world too, that would suggest this, you know, if there was a civilization that predated the Egyptians, then yeah, they, if this was a significant spot to them, then of course they would have chosen that area to either reconstruct a you know, existing structures that were there, mm-hmm. that were pyramids that were there already, or built it over top of underground um, caves that had been utilized by, a, yeah, a, pr- a previous you know, civilization. It makes sense in my mind to think that perhaps if this existing network of catacombs was there and conceived of in mythology as the underworld then it only makes sense that if say because like in egyptian mythology there's this idea of the journey so that the the pharaoh will join the heavenly constellations of eternity right in the sky yeah they were very heavily focused on um astrology astrology yeah yeah <laughs> astronomy well astronomy not astrology i guess astrology too both right okay yeah. okay i was thinking both. That for a second yeah, absolutely <laughs> right and yeah, so it makes sense to me that they would build these massive structures that would connect the underground to the heavenly realm or whatever you want to... Or vice versa or whatever it. order, yeah. Well, exactly. So I think that is incredibly interesting. Yeah, absolutely. In of. terms of evidence for there being like an earlier people's... Because here's the thing, okay. Here we are, t- 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, archaeologists in Egypt, Egyptologists that are looking for evidence for things it's hard to find. It's hard mm-hmm. to come by, mm-hmm. right? And you might find a artifact that then can then be interpreted in a million different ways because it's so old and the context is gone mm-hmm. and we're trying to piece together the the puzzle. Well, if if we're if we're struggling that much to find and piece together the puzzle of the Egyptians that, you know, the mainstream archaeologists say 4500 years ago, 
then how are we supposed to find the evidence for a civilization that predated them, that influenced them? Yeah. Like, nothing is going to be left from that. You would think, Right? Yeah. Um, they would have had archaeologists. They might have not been called that, mm-hmm. but they certainly would have had people working for the, the king, the, the emperors, the, pharaoh, the yeah. pharaohs, like, in, in ancient Egypt, ancient China, all these places, and they were, you know, looking for stuff just like we are today. And then re reusing it that's my theory that's what i i i, I think that but you're not you're not saying that it was aliens <laughs> no i'm not saying, saying it was aliens it's, it's i'm more saying more ancient cultures i'm saying that there was more advanced peoples further back than we so, give human humans credit so for who could these ancient peoples have been right kind of becomes a question yeah so i mean yeah <laughs> good question <laughs> what are your thoughts on that i mean are you we've got okay so I mean, the evidence that we had from the Siberia episode was the uh, Den- uh, Denisovan skeletons that were basically found in a cave, and they were um, discovered in the same sort of proximity to tools and artifacts that that dated back to like seventy forty to seventy thousand years that were clearly Bronze Age, like oh, they, right. they were created with like what would be later jewelry. Bronze Age technology, yeah. right? Uh-huh. It wasn't supposed to exist. It wasn't supposed to be dated to this time. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't you know the skills weren't supposed to be there until the the Neolithic period around eight thousand. So this was like the Berbers, like in North Africa, that right. had this technology, right? Uh-huh. But if this was a possibility much earlier on, you know, this was of course in a Siberian cave, but. <laughs> Who's to say that, but, but that's, those same people would have had to come from North Africa. Mm-hmm. Those same, those same early, uh, early, uh, branches of like home, right. the genus of home. Early migration right? patterns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who's to say that these early peoples with evidence that they had technology to, you know, manipulate an underground cavern, say to, mm-hmm. to use it for a shrine or for a Very for religious ceremony or whatever, or whatever. And I definitely like gets into the whole controversy surrounding the advent of these different ages and different technologies and yeah. how perhaps some people argue that Egyptians had access to Iron Age tools that would have come through trade with Turkey. And there was this whole this um, Mediterranean route where they would have gotten, I can't remember where the timber was from, but that was from a different area along the trade route. Yeah. I think it was in Northern Africa maybe. And then, yeah, they apparently through trade, they might have been able to access iron, iron. tools, which... Again, like we've seen lots of um, people discussing how you can't actually carve granite. Oh, with, light granite, exactly. like those hard basalt. Yeah. Those hard rocks. You need you need Iron Age tools yeah. to do that. You can't use Bronze Age tools. And the Egyptians supposedly only had Bronze Age tools. Right. And it's just, yeah, there's a lot to sort of pick apart with that as well. Definitely. There's another interesting thing I found. Actually, I don't know if I added it in here. But there was uh, a few articles, one from the Smithsonian and uh, a few others as well, basically um, talking about how there's proof now that the Egyptians were harvesting metals from meteorites and using them oh, for tools. Cool. Um, and jewelry and what things like that. What type of metals? Um, so, I mean, like, I mean, metals that were harder than the Bronze Age ones. Like, would it have been? It would have been iron. It could have been iron. Yeah, absolutely. Iron. Hunks of iron. Um, I'm trying to... Th- we need my grandma You know, here. I had yeah. the idea too. I was like, wait a second. Why couldn't they have used like diamond tip drills or well, something? Well, you had the, the story of the chisels? diamond in the, uh, for uh, right, yeah. the duat, the crossing. Uh-huh. Yeah. El Could they have figured that out and used some sort of diamond tipped drill? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was some suggestions that there's evidence of high-speed drilling found. Yes. So this falls into the camp of sort of pseudo-archaeology, <laughs> although there are... Questionable. There are engineers out there and archaeologists that have basically said, yeah, these there's markings on some of these, uh, some limestone, some, some stuff that's you know, would have actually needed a drill or a saw because it was harder basalt mm. or granite or whatever, but they show markings that aren't natural, that show mm. something that's more of a high-speed instrument. Interesting. And uh, I wonder how they're able to determine that. I, I, I tried to look into it, and it's because... basically just the striations. It's just the shape mm, of the cut okay. marks mm-hmm. and their closeness to each other would mm. indicate a machine and more rapid movement than an individual with a hammer doing like because it wouldn't be so precise it would be slight Mm -hmm. variations in the angle of the strike right but if you're using a drill or a saw it's one cyclical motion or it's one it's one solid motion right it's not the variations of a human hand like you know you can't be exactly the same every single time you know what i mean that's curious well yeah, it's bizarre. It is interesting. Well, I came across. I was watching some videos on how they would have actually got the quarried these blocks out, and how granite is actually uh, it does cleave along planes of ninety degree angles, so it is very easy to get a very precise, clean break in the rock. Right. That wouldn't need much finishing afterwards. Right. But I don't know, like how much, because like it's so interesting how ancient methods of quarrying stone are actually basically being used today. Yeah. We just have the um, convenience of electricity and using jackhammers jack as opposed like to just hammering one by one these like huge like stakes and using um, like sure. metal wedges and things to kind of cleave yeah. into the rock. I don't think there's anything that like paranormal to suggest that like ancient peoples could have figured out some way of powering something Hmm. to like if we're using Using the same technology technology to because here's the thing the ancient alien argument takes away all of the intelligence of of ancient peoples right Mm -hmm. it says oh you've given the technology what we're saying is that like what our my theory we're giving them agency that i like i feel like there's there there easily could have been people that figured this stuff out i mean even like uh, in the in the episode with um, Mad Scientist with Chris and Marie, mm-hmm. I mean, he was saying like definitively that Ed built Coral Coral Castle mm-hmm. Rock Gate, and definitively because, the Egyptians built the pyramids. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, great, <laughs> but that's still <laughs> insane. So, I I think they could have had uh, some more um, secrets behind it that some wasn't mystical or anything necessarily, but just like really smart and mm-hmm. just kind of figured it out. Yeah. Very curious. But the guys who were looking into this, just to, um, it was uh, Stephen uh, Meller and Christopher Dunn, mm-hmm. who were, are, are yeah, archaeologists and uh, went to Egypt in April 2013 to take a look at these supposed drill and uh, saw markings at the Giza Plateau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, inconclusive, but they just, they did find things that were interesting. So like there's these large, um, niches, niches, um, <laughs> niches, niches. I, I want to say niche, like Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche, um, mm-hmm. on the outsides and insides of the pyramids. So, like when you're, when you're going up the pyramids from the outside, it's massive. It's like mm-hmm. you're climbing a mountain, but there's basically these, these little sort of alcoves, like in between the placements of the largest blocks as you, as you go up mm-hmm. and you can go into them. And inside these, like, crevices and stuff like that, there's just, like, there's cut marks, I guess, that don't oh. seem... They're not, like, like just, they're, like, a... 
they seem out of place. And then on the inside of the pyramid, they mention these things like these large granite boxes that were carved out of one solid piece. Mm-hmm. And the lid itself is also made out of the box. The, the inside of the box is hollowed out and it's just pr- precise and pristine. <laughs> you know, if they were using Bronze Age tools, it'd be and pretty that, tough to again, Kate, this hollow does... out grant or uh, hollow out basalt or granite or any of these things, right? Yeah, and and even going back to just like back to the the tomb, the underworld tomb, supposedly like the the vertical shaft that was discovered by Andrew Collins, and how that was like a pristine, a pristine, precise circle. Yeah, that would yeah. need like you know like how. Well, that's just it. You're talking about. Yeah, like how how you can't do that from the ninety degree angle chiseling. Like, okay, great, I get that. You can get yeah. a ninety degree angle in granite. The only thing I can think of that might explain that is that that particular round um, circle is actually well. He said there it's all limestone though, but I'm thinking in my head, what if that one particular piece was granite and the limestone's in the middle, and so the limestone was the stuff that dissolved, right, and like then the a, granite was yeah. left. So like, there's a section of that yeah. stone with a limestone. And that is that is actually um, seen in. Um, in ocean stones as well. Remember, right. we came across that again in the ancient yeah. um, Chinese explorers, where there there were these stones that they would use. They they carved themselves that have perfect circles. They would use for anchors for their ships, okay. and how that's actually replicated in nature as well because of erosional patterns of right. different yeah, because, um, hardness of right, rock materials. Right. So, but people were taking those anchors and saying, "Look, these oh, the people were drilling evidence. holes in rocks from ten and so thousand years ago." And so, evidence that the ancient yeah Chinese were on the shores of North America far before Columbus, but at the same time, that is again. Because there is the right. natural versus the man-made. <laughs> right, so it's sort of... So just, just another precedent, though. It's like, so maybe perhaps this, this one particular hole could be natural, but maybe not. Right. Maybe not. But, I mean, the fact that these natural occurrences can happen, it, like, lends to the idea that there's a vast underground, underworld network. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when it was when the plateau was covered in water, if there's a lot of limestone, and you just described a situation where it can be, like, a harder granite or yeah. whatever with a limestone in the middle, then there could be natural caves and tunnels like we've talked about but that are way more expansive than Mm -hmm. you could even imagine and then that had been obviously built up and utilized as the underworld network (laughs) i think that there could actually be a connection to zerzura from the complex from the tomb of the birds Ah. that there was actually something to do with maybe an escape route or Mm -hmm. a a special royal passageway to an oasis that was only for certain Certain people. Very curious. Anyway, I, <laughs> I honestly think we're going to be revisiting this one or similar themes in the future because this is there's so much, but we don't want to get too crazy for no. today. Yeah, want to leave some tidbits for maybe our listeners to pick up on and yeah. and definitely please reach out to us with any of your theories or yeah. if you have any additional information that you think is relevant to Absolutely. this. Absolutely, we would love to hear it. Yeah. Yes, we're totally open. We had we had an awesome reach out last week, right, with our Great yes, we Lakes did. Triangle series. Yeah, uh, we had a pilot reach out to us and gave us a whole schwack of new theories and ideas to talk about. Super so we, fun. We got some, yeah, the bonus material, and that was really really cool. Yeah. So that's what it's all about, and that's why we would love to just like we'd like to be a little out there and just be like, <laughs> we're just gonna you know toss it out and see what you guys sure. why make not? of it. Why not? Right. That's this what is, makes it fun. <laughs> right. So I guess in conclusion, you, you're kind of giving your, you're, you're connecting it to Zazura. Hey? Yes, I am. I'm just totally just, again, like I feel like a kid in the candy shop just thinking about all the possibilities of what could be down there. And I'm picturing almost like, what was that? The secret world of 
Og or Oz. You remember that? The Secret World of Oz when you read that book in, in elementary yeah, school? Yeah. It was like this whole underground society. Yeah. What if, what if it's the mole people down there? <laughs> the mole people. Oh my goodness. I'm not saying it's Hollow Earth, but I'm saying this could be something huge. Or it could be just, what if, yeah, what if it's just, again, just the basis. It's a physical basis for the mythical representations. Of Which the is just world. as fascinating. Well, not just as fascinating. If there's a real literal underworld like a Castle Hoska gateway to hell, then that is fascinating. But definitely like if it is just a purely uh, archaeological expedition left to be had that mm-hmm. is so cool imagine if we could find just how far this network goes yeah. and what it could be attached to maybe we could find another underground temple out in the sahara that this is connected to right <laughs> so many possibilities <laughs> we like to speculate but it's fun yeah so, like, I think that wraps her up, eh? Yeah. For now. Yeah. We did have, um, again, yeah, we did want to give some special thanks um, to Chris for providing us with, again, all those ideas to work through for our bonus episode. Yeah. And as well, Adam C., we did get your comment, but it was too late. It was after we recorded. So thank you for your contributions as well. That was a really cool idea. Would have been sweet to include because he was talking specifically about the ships. For Yeah. And how they could have been sucked down into these, like, crazy, like abysses formed by perhaps these like, uh, like deep crevices yeah and... like underground volcanoes or like uh, yeah. gas bubbles being formed and taking them out but anyway thank you cool. so much for reaching out with that we really appreciate that and uh, seriously if you guys want to become part of the conversation just join our facebook group yeah. like this is that's the best forum it's the best way to kind yeah. of reach out to all of you totally and, and we would love it but feel free also if you if you don't want a social platform just just get us on a, like a direct message on yeah. any of our social medias like our Instagram is a great place for that. Uh, Twitter, we are always on Twitter. Yep. And Facebook as well. You can, you know, you can always message Totally. Us and then into the portal, uh, mailbox at gmail.com is just the most <laughs> formal, easy if you want to just shoot any questions or, yeah, any comments, totally. anything. So shoot us a message. Drop us a line. Yeah. Um, this week as well, we had an awesome review from Berserker Guy on <laughs> iTunes. He's like, tell your history prop to shove it. <laughs> Step aside for these awesome people. So we really love that yeah, review. Thanks, that man. was really fun. Yeah. So thank you. Um, as well, look forward to a blog post coming up on all this crazy stuff this week. And we will have our resources page updated for you lovely people as well. Yes, indeed. Um, anything else you want to include? No, I think that's everything. Just thanks again for the review and for just, yeah, the engagement. And if you guys haven't had a chance yet and you like the show, please leave us a review. It really helps us out on yeah. iTunes. We're trying our best to get onto that front page. Oh, man. Um, but uh, just thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and uh, thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm. And until um, next time. Until next week. Mm-hmm.